1: Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Friday uh, to you and yours. Happy day after Thursday. Uh, the weekend is finally here. And as I found out uh, last not last night, two nights ago, uh, this is the biggest weekend in Nashville of the years. The CMAs, uh, they had a concert going on right outside my building. Uh, all of my neighbors are out on their balconies, and I'm wondering, like, what's going on? And I look out and say, oh, because, again, I, I got here in 2020, and because of COVID, they didn't have all the stuff going on. But anyway, it's a big weekend in Nashville, and it's a big week uh, for this show. We've been talking, uh, I think, every day this week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you guys know the days of the week. We've been talking about What is a Woman? The documentary uh, pushed out by The Daily Wire and their podcast host and writer and author, Matt Walsh. Uh, I think the documentary is extremely important and I think it's incredibly well done. And I had one little problem with it though. It didn't include my favorite person, Jesus. Uh, and, and it kind of it baffled me. And so I, I wrote a piece about that. And then yesterday, as you guys saw, I, I previewed a conversation we're gonna have today with Matt Walsh. Uh, we previewed that uh, yesterday um, with a conversation about Matt and you know kind of where he came from and how his life has changed because of the documentary. But today we're gonna actually talk with Matt about the documentary. Uh, the good parts, the great parts, the awesome parts, and my little quibble uh, w- with the documentary. But I want to first uh, play you a clip uh, from Dr. Pat Gerzanka or something like that. He's a professor of women and gender sexuality studies at the University of Tennessee. And this, kind of, this conversation to me crystallized what the documentary is about. It's about a search for truth and there are some people that seem terrified of the truth including this university of tennessee professor
0: i'm not even talking about social context i'm just i'm just trying to start by getting to the truth you know Yeah, I mean, I'm really uncomfortable with that language of like getting to the truth again. In social life. Why is that uncomfortable? Because that, it sounds actually deeply transphobic to me. Um, And if you you keep probing, we're gonna stop the interview. If I probe about what the truth is? You keep invoking the word truth, which is condescending and rude. I'm saying to you. How is the word truth condescending and rude? Why don't you tell me what your truth is and you're walking on,
1: 30 seconds more of the nights before I get up. That that was, I had a lot of favorite parts of the documentary. That was probably my most favorite. I've watched it twice. I may have to watch it a third time, but the the guys basically are, you know, the truth is the enemy of the whole transgender movement. Uh, that was kind of my takeaway and then I, I want to go straight to the heart of my deal because I am accurate that this your documentary Was about a search for truth objective truth. Is that fair? I'd say that's fair. Yeah And so as a believer How can God be left out of that conversation? Well, the first thing I would say is that
0: is that if you're getting to the truth, then you're not you're not leaving God out. I mean, there's, there's no way to talk about truth or to, say, to speak truth, defend truth um, while, while taking God out of it. If you're taking God out of it, then you're taking the truth out of it, right? So they kind of go hand in hand. The question is uh, just how explicit do you want to be you know, when, when you're talking about the truth, um, kind how, of how deep do you want to go? I guess maybe it's another way of putting it. We decided with this film that we had a couple of objectives in mind and we you know 90 minute film going in and i I had plenty of arguments with the producer and director wanting to make it longer and um could
1: have been an hour longer i bet
0: i i thought so too and and they said (laughs) but i I don't know i'm not i'm not the filmmaker they are and ultimately of course they were right but they said uh, 90 minutes because the last thing you want with a film like this is for people to get bored and it's got it's got to just propel one to the next and uh and you 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 tell your story you make the point you want to make and then you get out right which i think we were able to uh, accomplish thanks to the team working on the film but um, so we had this, this, you know, structured out, and the first thing we have to do is kind of establish the problem, you know, the, the, what, what this gender ideology is, how pervasive it is, uh, and then expose it, expose it for how hollow and absurd it is, um, and then get into a little bit of, you know, how do you, how do you fight back, how do you resist this? Um, and then at the very end, we get to what's the, what's the actual answer to what is a woman? Because we knew we couldn't end the movie without answering the question. And we give the simple answer is adult, human, female. Um, there's a lot more that could be said about women. Obviously they're not a woman that I don't want to give spoilers away, but I get, I get that answer from my wife. Right. And, uh, she's a lot more than adult, human, female. So we could get into a whole exploration about womanhood. This is another criticism I've heard from people. It's like, why do you know, you could have said a lot more about, about women. Well, true. And that's, that's a whole, that's another film that, I, that someone should definitely make and that'd be really interesting and i'd love to watch it but um we're accomplishing one thing with this film and we want this to be the beginning of a conversation not the end of it and so there are many other avenues you could go down from there the reason we didn't throw god into it um and i i, I don't even like to put it that way but the reason yeah. why we didn't explicitly say something about god at the very end my wife could have said she could have quoted genesis she could have uh said, uh, you know, an adult human female who's created by God or something like that, right? And the reason we didn't do that is because to, we didn't think, number one, to accomplish what we wanted to accomplish, that it was, it was necessary. And what I didn't want was to give the left an escape hatch at the very end. I think that they would have really loved it if we had done that. because, And in fact, I think that if at the very end we had ended on a sermon, we had ended with a Bible quote, or if instead of going to my wife, I'd gone to a, a, a clergyman to, for the answer and he had told me something spiritual. I think if I had done that, then we'd be getting all kinds of reviews from mainstream critics so that they could glom onto that point and say that, oh, you see this? This is all just this is all just Bible thumping. And in order to, to be to be a critic of uh, this gender ideology, you have to be
1: you, know, you have to be a Christian. He made my point. Hey, how so? You just said if we had done that, we would have gotten all these mainstream reviews and in marketing and publicity, all publicity is good publicity. And so if anybody that would have watched the first 88 minutes and then the last two minutes uh, set the critics off and whatever, but if you make it through that first 88 minutes, they've been so devastated by their own idiocy that anything that would have gotten it more attention, anything that would have provoked the left even more, made it so they couldn't sit around ah! <laughs> and made them have to engage with it, I think would have been better. And, and, and then the other thing I thought was I wouldn't even, the, the minister that I would have wanted to have been interviewed is the one who's defending transgender. I wanted that guy put in the same clown suit you put all the other people in.
0: Yeah, well, taking your your second point first, uh, I would have loved that, too. But you also have to keep in mind that uh, uh, we cast a very wide net for this yes. film, and not not everybody would talk to us, which is putting it mildly. Yeah. So, uh, But that, I, I, if we could have talked to somebody like that, I 100% would have done it. Um, and as for the, the point about the mainstream critics, my point is that they would... I think that they, we would have got the reviews and they would have acknowledged it more because it wouldn't have scared them. You know, the reason why they're not acknowledging it now is because it scares them. And if they're not scared by it, I mean, they, look at, um, okay, take any, uh, uh, you know, sorry, but really bad, Christ, quote unquote, Christian movie from the Christian movie industry. you know. And I'm not gonna name names, but um, take any of those, those, those movies that are out there and there, it's a good message and it's family friendly, but they're just bad movies. And you go to Rotten Tomatoes and they all have, they might not have tons of critic reviews, but they have critic reviews and they're just panning it critics aren't worried about those movies. Like they like those movies because they make the point for them about the other side that those critics want to make. And so if we had done that, then yeah, there would have been media attention, but it would have all been, you know, it's, this is just religious. This is the, this is Christian propaganda, so on and so forth. When in fact, we don't want to give them that escape hatch because actually gender ideology is the religious cult-like belief. You have to be a believer in the gender ideology, leftist, religious cult to accept this. To know that women are adult human females, you don't need to be Christian, you don't need to be Jewish, you, don't, you could be an atheist and know that. It's just like, here's the way I look at it. If somebody were to say to you, 2 plus 2 equals 5, would you respond, no, it equals 4? Or would you say, no, God says it equals 4?
1: Uh, I'm unaware because I read that on your Twitter feed, I didn't respond, but I, I saw that on your Twitter feed. I, I'm I'm unaware of, and maybe it is because I'm not a biblical scholar. But math isn't covered in the Bible. Uh, gender, God's creation of man and woman, is covered in the Bible. So no, when it comes to math, I wouldn't invoke God. I, math, I believe, is man-made, but maybe it's in the Bible, and I'm just unaware of it. And so, no, I, as it relates to math, no. Well, math
0: is, uh, well, now we're getting into a whole like, philosophy of, of mathematics, which I'm way out of my <laughs> talking about it, but I, but I, I would say uh, that math is a, is a man-made way of, org, of kind of organizing f- realities in the world. So like, you know, we, we create the numbers themselves, but they represent actual realities, so two, two pl- Two things making four things is not something we made up. That's just, that just is right. And so because it's true, it, it, yeah, it's not, maybe not, uh, I mean, there is mathematics in the Bible, but it's, it's, the Bible's not a math textbook. Um, It it still is from God. I mean, everything that's true is from God. God created. Totally agree with you on that. So you, so if you said God, no, uh, God says two plus two equals four, you'd be right that he does say that, but. Why, why would you respond that way? That, that is a, that's a, that's a, a moment when if you respond that way, you're making it sound like your belief in mathematics is a religious, dogmatic, faith-based belief when it's, when it's, it's not. So you're, you're kind of adding this
1: layer to it that I think is, uh, doesn't help you. And so one thing, having thought about it last week and all this week, one one thing that i've had cuz we had uh Shamika Michelle and Jill uh Savage on the show yesterday or wednesday i had two ministers on and uh one white one black they Bobby and Anthony the local guys they come on the show all the time and uh Anthony actually agreed with your approach and so you know there is no settle i, I you know it's just my opinion but one of the things that i've had to recognize is that perhaps my agenda and who I want your documentary to reach is perhaps a little different than your agenda and who you're targeting and so it could just be about my expectations and the people that I'm most concerned about and the reason why I wanted the biblical explanation in there and again I would have liked to seen a minister that was getting clowned for his idiocy. And then I'd like to hear from a minister who you know, was representing the truth. But it's my concern is like black people don't understand that there's this spiritual warfare going on in politics and that uh, a lot of this stuff that we're adopting to support the Democratic Party totally contradicts our Biblical values that we were raised with. And, and we seem comfortable allying with people that believe total nonsense and idiocy, that men can get pregnant and all all the stuff that I know we don't believe, but because of politics, we're adopting what I believe are like satanic beliefs and an abandonment of truth. And so, again, I bring all that baggage into it. And ter- I'm sitting there, how can What Is A Woman be the perfect documentary to help black people snap out of this uh, trans, the Democratic Party and the left have them um, in? I think,
0: well, what you said, that uh, the black people don't understand the spiritual warfare, I'd say the same of, of white people. I, to me, that seems to be uh, just a cultural reality in the church too, and which actually brings me to well, a couple points. Well, I'll start with that. Uh, so, the, the church. Uh, another way that I would respond to the to the critique that it doesn't that, there's, that God isn't in the in the movie explicitly, is that um, that I agree with you that ministers should be talking about this issue. So, like, why aren't they? I mean, I would love it if some religious leader out there. Christian leader and church leader in any church were to make a film like this, addressing this issue in their own way, but, but, but focusing on the spiritual part of it, um, or maybe not make a film, just talk about it. And they're not, you know, I mean, I go to church every week and, uh, and I have been my entire life and I don't know if I've ever heard in church, this, this issue of gender being addressed head on. I'm not sure if I've ever heard it. At
1: the church you attend?
0: At any church. I mean, I'm talking about going back now, of course, 20 years ago, you could, you could always make the excuse that it wasn't a, didn't, it didn't yeah. appear to be a big issue back then, but it's been a big issue. It's been obviously to me a big issue for six, seven, eight years. And through that time, going to many, many different churches, um, I've, I don't think I've ever heard it directly, explicitly addressed. From Why is that? Because they're, they're just, a, they're cowards. They're afraid. You know, um, there's so and much so
1: you didn't want to attack those people. You didn't. I wanna- do.
0: But that's a, se- that's a that's a that's a that's a separate piece of work that needs to be done. Right. Um, I don't think y- you kind of have to choose one or the other. I mean, you could go after the churches and uh, that's that's something that I think needs to be done. Go after them in the, case, in the sense of like calling them to account. Um, I think that we should still do that. But that's why I say it's not a, it's not an either or proposition. I mean, this film exists. It hopefully accomplishes what it set out to accomplish. And it's there. And it's a, it's a piece of work that's in the culture now. And we can, we can build from there. I mean, um, we don't have to... You know, there are so many things I've... I've even, I could even point in the film to things that... I wish we'd been able to talk more about that. Uh, we talk about the history of gender ideology. We talk about John Money and Alfred Kinsey. We spend five minutes on it. And then we
1: move on to something else. Because, again, it's a 90-minute film. There's a specific thing we're trying Hold to Hold for accomplish. one second. I want to play that clip... Were you guys talking about Kinsey and money, and then I I want you to expound on maybe things you didn't cover as it relates to those two guys, because these guys are the founding fathers of what I believe is this satanic gender cult. Uh, Play that clip.
0: When was it decided that we need to start teaching kids about this stuff at such a young age? So I'll answer that with one word. Kinsey. Kinsey was a social reformer. He wanted to rid society of Judeo-Christian values when it came to sexuality. And he worked very hard to do that, and I would say he succeeded. Kinsey would be very happy with our culture today. His idea was that children are sexual from birth, that we're all inherently sexual creatures from cradle to grave. He believed that true happiness is found in a life of perverse sexual experimentation, no matter the age. What came out is that his research was fraudulent. Kinsey based his fraudulent conclusions on data he collected from convicted sex offenders and child molesters. His research was conducted in prisons, not everyday America. He also performed horrific sexual experiments on children, some under the age of one. His most influential book, Sexual Behavior in the Human Male, contains an infamous chart called Table 34, which documents the orgasms of very young kids, including babies as young as five months old. But instead of suffering the consequences for his heinous actions, he was and still is celebrated by academia and Hollywood. His ideas form the foundation for sexual education in public schools today.
1: I... I There were so many powerful moments but as soon as i saw that i was like holy cow and and i kept like oh this is going to be responded to from a biblical perspective by the end of this but any what what left out or what more is there to say about Kinsey and money
0: uh well there's there's a lot more to be said about these individual guys um because like we've been saying this is you know this is a 90-minute film trying to accomplish a particular thing but we can't neglect the history of gender ideology, I don't think. It's, it's an it's important context for people to understand. One of the big things we want pe- people to take away from this is to just understand a little bit of what this thing is. And if you want to understand what it is, you've got to understand some of the history of it. Um, but the, the main thing you want to take away from, from Kinsey and Money, you could go, their books have been written about them. There have been documentaries on them. You've got to be careful for any of that stuff because there's a lot of propaganda in favor of them. So you've got to find the right... Stuff, but um, these guys, I think the most important thing to understand about both of them is that they were very intently focused. Both of them on kids. You know, they wanted. We just heard about about uh, Kinsey. He he very much wanted to sexualize kids. He believed that kids were sexual beings, and so we see this stuff today. The groomer uh, trend today didn't start today. It was all, it was designed this way. I mean, uh, what they call comprehensive sex ed, which the left so badly wants to have even in kindergarten. And if you take it out of kindergarten, as we saw in Florida, they react, they have a nuclear meltdown. That all starts with, uh, with Alfred Kinsey. He invented it. And gender ideology was literally invented by John Money. The idea of gender identity is a term coined by John Money, who uh, both of these guys were quacks, abusers, child abusers. Um, but it also didn't start just with them. We bring in, on, in the film, we talked to uh, Carl Truman And who who is a minister, by the way, and uh, he wrote a book called um, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, which is a great book. I recommend everybody watch it, read it, rather. And he gets into the history of gender ideology, but he traces it much further back. He goes back into the 19th and 18th century, uh, into its philosophical roots. Um, So it kind of depends. If you want to trace the root of any evil, you could kind of go back as far as you want. You could go all the way back to the fall of man if you want. Um, but you have to, you know, there are certain landmarks along the way. And uh, I think that in the mid 20th century with these guys is one landmark moment where gender ideology started to take its current form
1: around that time, thanks in large part to these guys. And so you, you made me think of a couple other questions along the same lines that I, I wanna get to, but. Would you say, and because you've written books, obviously successful podcasts, but what is a woman is your best piece of content? Uh, definitely. Okay. Of mine? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, And so, and again, this goes back to, I understand I'm bringing my own expectations and the desires into this line of questioning. But, so what is a woman is your best piece of content. It's awesome. And Jason Whitlock is sitting there saying, And I want everybody that sees this to know Matt Walsh is a Christian and again, you. You've already established that with books you've written previously and all your work about. But there's this whole new audience being introduced to you and me selfishly sitting there like there's some black people that have never heard of Matt Walsh. And I want them to know that what's driving Matt Walsh is his faith. What because what they've been told is your politics are driving you. And, and and again, I don't know you well. I just know you from following your work and following your Twitter feed and all that other stuff. But but even it's like Shamika uh, on Monday, she was like the, she was criticizing my criticism of your documentary by saying like Jason, he the way he conducted himself in the documentary was an expression of his faith. He was very patient with people. He wasn't condescending. He uh, very respectful, you know, and he engaged with people that he disagreed with in a very respectful way. It was all an expression of his faith. And I get it, but I think for a lot of people, and that's again why I wanted you to somewhat raise, I'm a Christian, so that black people can get it out of their heads that, oh, he's a conservative, he's a Republican. That's what's driving him when I suspect it, it's it's more so your faith and your beliefs than some political allegiance.
0: Uh, you're correct on on that. But what drives my conviction that men are men and women are women and that men can't have babies is not actually my faith. That what drives that is just common sense. We talked early in the film to uh, Don Sucker, the Star Wars shop owner, and you know I asked him playing the devil's advocate a little bit how does he know that that he's a man how, to, how does he know any of this and he just said well it's common sense and because it is like I, w- w- yeah he the, said he had a d- right exactly <laughs> that's exactly what he, what he said i don't know if we could use the language in the show or not yeah. um he uh so for him it's common sense and it's because you're just you're living situated in reality that's how i know it so for the film that's what i want people to take away from it that i know this stuff uh, and the other thing is, in the film, it's, it's not even what I know. It's, I'm, I'm asking questions, right? So, but um, my own conviction on this particular issue when it comes to the facts is just because it's, it's basic reality. Uh, but again, it doesn't, it doesn't, hopefully it doesn't end there. So if we could reach as many people as possible with this film, then, then hopefully they, they continue the exploration of these issues. I don't want them to just watch the movie no matter what we could put in the movie, if they just watch it and then they're like, well, that was great. And then they move on with their lives and don't do anything. Then um, then the movie's not successful, no matter what's in it. We, we want them to be motivated. Another thing you have to keep in mind is that pe- pe- there's so much confusion and noise right now in society, especially on this issue, that I think you got to you got to pull people out of the noise. You got to turn down the noise a little bit um, before you can have any kind of deeper discussion about anything, certainly before you can get into theology and spirituality. Uh, you need to have the noise down a little bit to have that's a, that's a, that's an important conversation, and so you got to get people out of this fog of confusion, this fantasy land. I think first rescue them from it. Uh, it, and and then when they're back here and we're all in reality together,
1: now we can get deeper into some of these uh, really important topics. But but I just and I don't want to be ar- argumentative, but I just I don't think people see you properly. And I could say the same probably for Michael Knowles and Andrew Claven and, and Ben Shapiro, and, and you know, because popular secular culture has defined you guys as political activists, which you are, but I don't think that's, your allegiance to truth, I don't think is political. I think it's a byproduct of your faith. Because again, when you stray away from truth, there's all kinds of calamities awaiting you. And, and so, you know, I talk about on this show all the time, you know, my gluttony is me straying away from biblical truth and, what, what, and just facts and reality. And, and, and there's all kinds of complications for my gluttony. And, and, uh, and so my, the way I've been able to make progress with my weight for the first time in 30 years, is because I just had finally given it over to God and just like, I got my allegiance to truth and what's the proper thing to do has to be spiritually based and that's how I've been able to make progress. I'm gonna quit beating up the topic though because the, the documentary's great and, and what you've done is great. and And the other part of my top 10 or top 30 favorite moments in the documentary is you started debating with someone and i can't remember but we'll play the clip explaining them like you know kids believe in santa claus they believe a little fat man flies around on a a sleigh let's play that clip have you ever met a four-year-old
0: who believes in santa claus Mm -hmm. so this is someone who believes that a fat man is traveling through the sky on a flying reindeer at lightning speed, coming down his chimney with presents. Yeah. Would you say that this is someone who maybe has a tenuous grasp on reality? They have an appropriate four-year-old handle on the sure. reality agreed. that's very real for them. Agreed, agreed. But Santa Claus is real for them, but yeah. Santa Claus is not actually real. Yeah, well, and but Santa Claus does deliver their Christmas presents. Well, yeah, but he's not real, though. To that child, they are. When I see a child who, you know, believes in Santa Claus, and then let's say this is a boy and he says, I'm a girl. Mm -hmm. This is someone who can't distinguish between fantasy and reality, so how could you take that as a reality? I would say that as a pediatrician and as a parent, I would say how wonderful my four-year-old and their imagination is.
1: Do you think she really believes a four, five, six, seven-year-old can make a decision about their gender in a mature or even has – she, does she believe that? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I get, and I've gotten that question a lot.
0: Um, do, can, do these people actually believe what they're saying? And, of course, the the answer is I, I, I can't – I don't know exactly, but I do think that at least at some level they realize how vacuous – These claims are, and that's why they get so defensive. Because if they if they really believed it deep down at the deepest levels of their being, then there's no reason why they would all have threatened to walk out of the interviews at some point or the other. The other and one of them, two of them actually did. Uh, There's nothing to hide, so it's like they're aware that there's something to hide there. I think, and especially, and it's not hard to see the motivation for someone like the person we just watched there, uh, because we get into this a little bit in the film, there's a profit motive, they're making a lot of money. There's a lot of money to be made off of a gender confused kid. Or rather, if you make a kid gender confused, which is what happens, there's a lot of money to be made. Whereas if you have a five-year-old boy who says, I'm a girl, and then you do the right thing and say to the boy, no you're not, you're a boy. And it's wonderful to be a boy, you should be happy to be a boy, go run and play outside. Let's, you know. And that's all you have to do for most of these kids and they'd be fine, the crisis is over. But if you do that, there's no money in that, right? If, on the other hand, you say, oh yeah, we're deaf. That's your truth, and that's who you are. Um, now, that kid is, uh, that's a dollar sign. And that's, that kid is worth millions of dollars down the line to many different industries and many different people that uh, doctor you know, among them.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, what was it? The last name was Nugent. Kelly, yeah. and but I can't remember his real Scott. Uh, Scott, uh, yeah. yeah, Scott. Taught 1.3 million, he said, for every child that goes through that whole transition thing, and and so I think there's financial incentive to what they're doing, but I also uh, want to ask. I think there's political incentive it, from the left in terms of like the whole LGBTQIA plus the whole thing. If you can. Introduce this to kids and I saw Bill Maher uh, talking about this how this is it generation Z or whatever whatever the newest generation is Yeah, 20% of them identify yeah. as LGBT and to me I think the Democrats see that as those are potential voters because we're gonna the other side Matt Walsh and Conservatives, you know are anti LGBT. That's the way it's been painted and and so if you can, they're breeding and grooming the next generation of of Democratic voters. Yeah,
0: um, I, yeah, there's there's certainly a political motive, profit, political motive, ideological, you know, all these things, philosophical. Um, you talk about twenty percent LGBT identification among Gen Z. What people need to realize is that. You know, that is, of course, is up above, that, that's above what it was for millennials and what it was for Gen X. But actually, if you go back, I think about five generations, you'll find that LGBT identification exactly doubles generation upon generation for five generations. Um, and trans identification, even more than that. You know, to the, to the point where among the baby boomers um, and certainly among their parents, trans hardly exists statistically. It's like a statistical anomaly. And now you're seeing 10, 20, 30-fold increases in that particular category among kids. Um, and this obviously is not a coincidence. It's not, there's no way to explain it other than this is, this is something that's being done uh, to these generations. There's, a, there's an agenda here to recruit kids into this, into the alphabet cult. Um,
1: I call it the alphabet mafia. Cult, uh, mafia networks, <laughs> I, I, no matter what, yeah, either way. The, the and so as a parent, and particularly, I'm, I'm going to play the Democratic game and call your white parent. I would be petrified to have kids. But I, I, do you homeschool your kids? Yeah, I figure <laughs> <laughs> some <laughs> of those. Uh, but I would be petrified if I had my white child in school, particularly male, because. The white male is the lowest form of human being on the planet according to current American culture. He's followed by uh, the black heterosexual Christian male. Mm -hmm. And, And so I say to my friends all the time, I was like, your kids, the pressure on these boys to identify as something other than white male or black heterosexual Christian male, if you want to be cool, if you want to fit in, if you want to get away, if you want to be oppressed and one of the cool kids, this LGBT thing is the way to go. That pressure is real and that's why I think all parents need to be right there with you and sending money and guns and whatever else they need to Matt Wolf. Um, Yeah, I think uh, there's, the
0: the peer pressure aspect of it like we talked about the contagion you guys talked yeah, about the social it contagion is. aspect of it cannot be understated the fact that there's as you say there's a social capital in being in the LGBT club to the, and, and that's one thing I learned film there are a lot of things that I I thought I knew most of what there was to know about this issue before we filmed the documentary I learned a lot through the process and um, just to the extent to which there is this social capital in being LGBT um, it's just, it's the coolest thing, right? So for, for for kids, so they're all looking for their way into it. And then on top of that, also, there's this effort, which I think is the most insidious thing of all. And I, I just hate it so much. What we're doing to kids where um, they're being, there's a self-loathing. They're being encouraged to hate themselves. And it, it happens to boys and girls um, in, in different ways. And I think it, it hits them particularly hard at different ages, right? So It seems to me anyway that a lot of the transition, gender transition stuff in the younger ages, you know, four, five, six, seven, that seems to be affecting boys the most. And it seems to be especially mothers like these blue haired moms who don't really want to have a boy because they, you know, don't like boys. And so they decide they want their their kid to be a, a, a girl. They think it'd be cooler to have a girl. And so they turn their boys into girls. You get into the older ages though, um, and the ad, in the adolescent ages, puberty and around that, um, it is by far and away mostly girls who are falling victim to this. And uh, you know, Abigail Schreier wrote a book called Irreversible Damage, which is another fantastic book that everyone needs to read, specifically about this issue, about how this affects adolescent girls. And it's not hard to see why that's happening because that's around the time that girls are going through puberty and uh, boys go through puberty too. And it's difficult whether you're a boy or a girl, I suspect it's harder even for girls. And um, the changes to your body are much more pronounced and kind of uh, unsettling and sort of shocking for girls. So things are happening to them and, and they feel uncomfortable in their own bodies. It's very, which is normal to feel uncomfortable in your own body at times, especially going through puberty. And in the past, what we would say to girls is, well, this is a phase, you know, you'll, you'll grow into yourself, we used to say, and you'll be fine. But now we come along and we give them a framework for understanding their feelings and we say, oh, you feel uncomfortable in your body. Well, that's because you have the wrong body and actually you could take these drugs and have a different body, doesn't that sound great? And all these girls who don't know any better are saying, well, yeah, I'll take that instead. I mean, I could take this pill and I don't have to have all these changes. Great, yeah. Um, And we take this thing that would have been a little phase in their lives that they would look back on later and laugh about and we turn
1: it into a, a lifelong identity We've got a total hot mess going on for kids, and because and, I'm just sitting here processing the things you're talking about, and, and so I'm th- let's say I had a 15-year-old daughter, 14-year-old daughter, who's taller than her, cl- her peers, a bit goofy. I, I knew a girl like this in Kansas, I didn't know her when she was a little kid. I knew her as an adult, and she went on to become Miss Kansas, but she would never saw herself as that beautiful because she grew up as a tall kid, and it wasn't, you know, I think she's like five, 11, six foot or whatever. But, but I couldn't imagine in this society we have now with Instagram and all the Instagram models and how everybody's obsessed with this promoting their physical beauty and everybody having to live up to this standard that's being pushed out over Instagram and these social media apps that are directed at kids, and let's say you're the 13, 14-year-old chubby girl who's a bit athletic and a tomboy, and it's easy for me to see someone getting that insecure, vulnerable girl to, well, (laughs) you just got the wrong body. For, for who you are and and her at that very impressionable age falling for that garbage i I, I, I want to take care of some business i I, pr- I literally pray for you parents all the time and, and sometimes think they're like because I regret not having kids but I look at the challenges parents face and I'm like maybe it was a blessing because I would lose my mind I, I would I'd be a nut All right, but uh, let's take care of some business. With Father's Day coming up, and all the summer events and holidays on the horizon, this is the perfect time to try a box of Good Ranchers. If you're looking to surprise your father, grandfather, father-in-law, husband, boyfriend, whoever, this is a no-brainer. Good Ranchers is the place to get American beef, chicken, and seafood this summer. They sell 100% meat and ship it right to your door, and right now they're giving away two free 18-ounce prime center cut ribeyes to every person that uses my code, FEARLESS. That's over two pounds of prime ribeye steaks Just add it to your order at no cost. With Father's Day almost here, and summer stretching out before us, what's not to love? This is not the time to wait. Claim your ribeyes today before they run out. This is a limited stock item, first come, first serve, and you want to be first when it comes to good ranchers. They deliver the best of American farms and ranchers to your door. Make sure you take time today, right now, and go to goodranchers.com/fearless or use my code fearless at checkout to get your two free 18-ounce ribeyes. Start the summer off right with Good Ranchers American meat delivered. You guys be good fearless soldiers. Uh, feed your soldiers, Good Ranchers. All right, uh, I want to continue my conversation with Matt Walsh and Matt. I, I beyond yourself. Uh, who? Tell me about the director and who else deserves credit for the quality of this documentary? Obviously, I think Jeremy Boring has a great vision for what you guys are doing at the Daily Wire, but uh, look, you did a great job in front of the camera, but I've been in this business long enough to know, man, those people behind the cameras put in some great work.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm glad you asked that because it, it does, uh I, I, I love that everyone seems to, not everyone, but I love that's, that lots of people seem to l- love the movie, uh, but, and it's, people are calling it, like, my, well, it's Matt Walsh's movie, um, it, but it's not just my movie. This is, uh, a, it is a, a, a team effort, in all sincerity. Uh, Justin Folk is the, is the director of the film. He did a documentary called No Safe Spaces a few years ago, and um, we needed to find someone. I, I had this idea for the movie back a year ago, over a year ago, and I brought it to Jeremy, and um, I, I half thought maybe he'd laugh me out of the room because it just sounds kind of crazy. Uh, but he was totally into it, and he said, we got to get you a you know, team, obviously. And the first thing we had to do was find a director. And I thought it would be hard to find a director, and it probably would have been. If we, had, if, we had, if we hadn't started with Justin, it would have been hard to find somebody. Because like, you need to find someone who's willing to work with us, willing to talk about this topic, and to approach it the way that we decided to approach it. Um, but he was game for it almost from the beginning and um, he had to take like a day to think about it and then he said let's do it and then we went out and we did we just filmed so much for a year there was so much footage and you have to take all that footage and uh, turn it into a, make a story out of it um, I don't know how he did it I, I can't even imagine having to whittle all that down and turn it into something but, uh, but he did we also had a our producer uh, Dallas Sonier, who's working with The Daily Wire now and uh, he's done He's been in Hollywood a long time. He's done uh, he's done a lot of he's, he's done a lot of really good movies that have some real edge to them. A movie like Bone Tomahawk. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a, a western. Um, I like
1: westerns. I might check it out.
0: Yeah, it's it's got a lot of edge to it. Just just a warning. It's it's a, it's a pretty it's an edgy western, but it's a good one. Anyway, and he and he came on board and uh, and helped us especially towards the end to kind of make this into a real story. So um, I I kind of look at it like I had the fun job of. Uh, not always fun but you know the exciting thing of, like you're on camera you're talking to people we're at the women's march we're doing all this kind of stuff um... but uh, the people behind the camera did a great job
1: yeah. and then you did a good job of saying hey we went to san francisco new york we went here we went how many different places did you go and how were you able to keep up your podcast with all this traveling and, and putting a uh, putting a year into a documentary uh... we went
0: uh, yeah, we, yeah, we were east coast to west coast. We went to, uh, I can't remember all the places. We were a couple different cities in, in California. San Francisco was one, which was quite, that was quite, of all the places we went, that to me was the most depressing in, in a lot of ways. I'd never been to San Francisco before. We went to Los Angeles too, but San Francisco was, I'd never been before. I'd heard stories about how it is now. And uh, it was worse. It's as bad as they say? It's worse than, than they say. I, it, it actually, it really did feel like certain parts of it anyway, going through a third world country. And then we went to a third world country and it kind of confirmed that this is like, there are parts of this that feel a lot like San Francisco. Um, and we, we walked around uh, the Castro district in San Francisco, which is sort of like the gay district in San Francisco, which is itself sort of the gay district. So, um, and there are people, there's one in the film, like there are dudes just walking around
1: almost fully naked. Downstairs. That guy was fully naked, wasn't he? Yeah, he, 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 he and, did, yeah. And that's what blew me away. It, it, it wasn't him. It was the fact that you could see behind you all, everybody else just moving around like yeah. this is nothing. Yeah, that's what blew me away. Yeah, that's
0: what that's, and and I guess if you live in San Francisco, you, have, you get used to seeing a lot of, a lot of disturbing things, and uh, or if you live there, maybe you're not disturbed by it because that's why you live there in the first place. So we went there. We went up to uh, to Washington State. We went to Rhode Island, Boston, Virginia, Canada. Uh, then of course over to Africa, um, which of everything that we did, that was kind of the craziest
1: thing. Well, you took advantage of those African people, don't you know that, Matt? <laughs> I mean, when <laughs> someone tweeted that, uh, the 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 left and their bigotry and condescension, patronizing, yeah, it's it's just an incredible that like, oh my God, this smart American white man wouldn't took advantage of these Africans and ask them questions.
0: I tell you. The- <laughs> The only reason I felt, the only thing I felt uh, hesitant about or felt kind of bad about for a moment was just, uh, you know, we're going to go and introduce these concepts to these people who have never heard of it before. And uh, so I, I had a moment of hesitation. Is that the right thing to do? But then I realized it's like the
1: first person who gave me a big back should right? have done it. Exactly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Are we going to be like, are, do, do, are we now becoming the, the snakes in the, the Garden of Eden? You know, uh, Kind of are we are we that filling that role, but actually not at all, because they were totally horrified by it, and so now they're they're even less likely to be influenced by by these kinds of influences. I think they, they, there was nothing about it that sounded appealing to them in the slightest, um, which is sort of what we what we suspected.
1: I want to go back to San Francisco before I ask about your own just personal schedule and how you but are, are, are you Aware at all of uh, San Francisco, Northern California's history, like why the, you know sports at all, the San Francisco 49ers, why they're called the 49ers, or or, and and the The gold rush of the 18th, and that uh, during that gold rush, so many men left their families to hunt gold in Northern California, and they parked their boats in the San Francisco Bay, and that at one point in the 1850s, like 93% of Northern California, that particular area, Sacramento, San Francisco, 93% were men. And that that's where, that's why San Francisco has such a unique uh, sexuality culture as opposed to other areas of, of America and, and it, it's I, I keep saying like hey San Francisco is at war with America that uh, and just Northern California from their embrace of Marxism and uh, black nationalism uh, to this sexual revolution that they're driving that that particular area of the country now that They're the tech, they're in control of the tech industry and they've created all these billionaires. San Francisco has an outsized influence over American culture and San Francisco's culture is very unique because of its history. Well, that's an interesting point
0: about the history. I hadn't thought about that, that is interesting. Um, I basically agree with what you're saying and, but I also think that the kind of geographic boundaries for a lot of this stuff it's, it's not what it what it used to be um i think we have this idea that well get out of the i've said it too many times like get out of the cities get out of these crazy cities and go somewhere else uh unless you're one of the crazy people in which case please stay there don't go to, don't go anywhere else and spread this around but um, I think that because of the Internet largely and other factors, it's, 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 that's less the case. This, this stuff is really everywhere. Now, in San Francisco, it's, yeah, it's a lot more pronounced, and there
1: are things you see in San Francisco you're not going to see anywhere else. But, but if all the social media companies are based in that area, and so they hire employees from that area who have to live in that culture, I just don't think it's shocking that Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Google... Yeah, they all favor that particular point of view.
0: Yeah, but then they're that's their base of operations, and they're projecting out to the rest of the culture yeah. from there to the to the point now they've been so successful that uh, that everywhere in America reflects San Francisco a lot more than you might think, and that's another thing that we found doing this film. We did the man on the street interviews everywhere we went. We went out also to the street and just talked to people. We talked to a lot of people, and most of it isn't in the film. Again, ninety minutes, um, but. I was just really depressed by uh, the fact that everywhere we went and almost everybody we talked to, any demographic, any age, almost all of them sounded the same. They were repeating these kind of gender studies talking points that I don't think they even know where they got them from. But there there, there was not as much of a difference from place to place as you would hope. Everyone has bought into this. It is so pervasive. Um, and large part because of what you're talking about
1: yeah and so my circling back to my original contention is like I there's an algorithm or algorithms that all come from these social media apps that I believe is hostile to a biblical worldview I, I think it's built into the social media apps and Uh, I'm just have you had that thought had that conversation again I I know Ben and Jeremy are you know really smart about how to work algorithms and I'm just was that any part of the calculation of like you know in any of this stuff coming out of the social media apps coming out? won't be supportive of anything that has a biblical worldview
0: um, that had no... Are you asking if that's why we didn't mention God
1: for the... Is it, was it even a thought? Or is it even a thought?
0: No, I mean, no, not at all. I, mean, I, I assumed... Well, I, was, I was pretty sure that my, that my social media presence would not survive the release of the film. I'm surprised that it has. I kind of assumed, you know, for me, it was, uh, at least when it comes to my platforms, I saw it as a little bit of a kamikaze mission. I thought that... Uh, I thought at least one of these platforms would have kicked me off by now because of this. And, and I, because I knew that they'd be trying to. I knew that there'd be this mass reporting going on. And uh, uh, not that now the, the, the film doesn't break any of the social media rules or anything. So they wouldn't, according to their rules, they have no excuse to ban me. But so, since when has that stopped them? Um, so no, if we, if we had wanted to worry about the algorithms and getting deplatformed, we wouldn't have released the film at all. So if you're going to release it, it's just we want to release it in the way that we thought that would be most effective in, like, in, in, in inflicting the damage on gender ideology we wanted to inflict. And so that's why we went about it you know, that way. What's next for Matt Walsh? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I keep telling the left, especially with the death threats and everything, that the more they keep that up, the more offensive the next film's going to be. It's just, I'm just going to, just as a, like a punishment, I guess. I don't know what it's going to be, though. I, 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 did, I did enjoy... Um, being involved in a movie I've you know, I've written books and do podcasts and everything and um, I enjoyed that process more than I've enjoyed even like writing books and I've found that uh, At least in this case I can make a cultural impact in a way that it's much harder to with some of these other mediums especially with writing books, you know um, so I want to do more of that, but
1: uh, You know, we're kind of we're working on some ideas, but nothing nothing solid yet And just as like, I'm just wondering, like someone like Bill Maher, who's been a bit more unpredictable as of late, you heard maybe he'll interview you. Is there any chance of that? That'd be great. I think we we
0: sent uh, we sent screeners to lots of people. And a lot of the film critics emailed us back telling us to go F ourselves, basically, or not basically. That's really what they said um and uh yeah we sent we sent one to him i'd love to go talk I, I'll, look, I'll talk to anybody we've sent one to to hostile media to cnn whatever i'll i'll talk to anybody about this um unlike the gender ideologues who have to be who can never be too careful about who they talk to and what they say uh i've got nothing to hide with this so joe rogan has he reached out um not yet but I'd, I'm, I'm we're hoping i'm hoping that i could talk to joe to, to rogan about this i think that this is yeah i think that this particular topic in this film would be uh, really resonate with both of their
1: audiences. I think, Matt. I think that's all I got. Now, it's not all I got, but it's all the time you have. Uh, I thank you, man. I I, I I I just want God to keep a hedge around you and your family. And uh, what you did is important. Uh, what you're doing, the example you're setting, you inspire me. Uh, you make me feel like a coward. I, I literally, I say that just because you got a wife and kids and you're out here taking real chances. Thank you so much. Thank you. And again, I mean, the, the way you've
0: supported the film is just, uh, I really appreciate it a lot.
1: So thank you. All right. Well, that's tomorrow. That means we'll see you uh, next week.
0: Right for freedom, looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for
1: freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on a corner, never been alone. I'm breaking my back for freedom. Blessed, we are living, get back. We are receiving, all receiving. We all wanna be free. We want freedom. I just want, I wanna be. I just want, I wanna be. I just want, I wanna be. I just. Want, I want